So we're going into an environmental story, which is completely fascinating. Did you know that in 1952, cheetahs were declared extinct in India? And now there's a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, which is taking place between India and South Africa, where there's going to be a reintroduction of cheetahs to India from South Africa. To tell us a little bit more about it, how it could work, what the opportunities are, we've got Professor Adrian Tordiff, who's an Associate Professor in Veterinary Pharmacology, and he's also a Veterinary Wildlife Specialist at the University of Pretoria, UP. Professor Tordiff, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, good morning, Michelle. Jeez, you guys are doing fascinating stuff. It feels like every week we just come across something else that you're doing uh, in the veterinary uh, space. What is this memorandum of understanding and how has it come about? Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating project and something that we um, have been very enthusiastic about um, at the faculty. Um, the history of the of the project, I mean, the, the, the Indians have been really trying for a long time to reintroduce uh, cheetahs into India after they went extinct, as you said, in, in 1952. Uh, it's been a long road for them. Um, they originally tried to, to look at Iran, which is the which has the only remaining population of Asiatic cheetahs, which is a, a slight uh, a subspecies of, of cheetah. But um, that population has been obviously political and um, turmoil in that country, and there's also been an issue with the numbers of, of animals available. Uh, currently, only about 12 adult in- individuals left of the Asiatic uh, subspecies. Um, and then there's been a whole saga going through all the courts and everything in the high courts in India, which finally in 2020 sort of um, gave the green light for the reintroduction of cheetahs to go ahead. Um, and that's when we were approached uh, through contacts that we had via various wildlife veterinarians and so on, courses that we presented in, in Kruger National Park and so on. We had contacts with Indian vets, wildlife vets, and they basically put us in touch with the Indian Wildlife Institute and the National the National Tiger Conservation Authority, who then you know wished to partner with us um, to to help them to uh, translocate these animals. Well, first to acquire the, the animals and then translocate them. And through our own contacts, we've been able to 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 set that up. But um, we wanted to do it more in a in a government to government. Um, fashion to involve uh, governments because that would really again in, ensure the long-term success it's a, it's not a project that was just going to be a once-off thing and so we then contacted our uh, government the indians contacted them and, and basically we've put together a memorandum of understanding uh which has now been signed by both parties and agreed on which which will look at a you know at least a five-year plan uh, probably continue longer than that. So, Prof, how's this going to work? I mean, where do those cheetahs come from? I mean, I understand mm. there's there's a dozen or so cheetahs that are going to be translocated. How's it yeah. going to work? And and actually, what is the, what are the logistics of translocating um, cheetahs from here to India? Yeah, so, I mean, how's it going to work? The first thing, where they're going to come from, um, there's a, a big misconception that the, you know, the cheetahs are, uh, well, that, that in South Africa we don't have enough cheetahs to provide the numbers that have been reported in the media. We actually do. Um, we have the only uh, growing population of cheetahs anywhere in the world in South Africa, and that mainly comes from the small reserves, um, most of them private. There's some government reserves as well, um, in what we call the Cheetah Metapopulation Program, which has been going for the last sort of uh, 10 to 15 years, and it's been highly successful. We've doubled the numbers of cheetahs um, 
in those reserves, and that population is now growing at about 8.8% per year, which translates to roughly about 30 uh, individual animals that are surplus to requirements. And one of our problems in South Africa is that we don't have new small uh, you know, game reserves, reserves and nature yeah. reserves for these animals to go into. So we've already exported animals to Malawi and to Mozambique. But those countries, uh, yeah, those are reasonably safe um, reserves. You know, where we judge that that um, there's not going to be a level of poaching or um, antagonism towards the the cheetahs. But in the rest of Africa, there are very few spaces where that is the case. Mm. And so India presents for us, um, you know, because they've got a real different approach to wildlife. Uh, they've got yeah, a, they a different different. Um, put the population is is uh, far more positive towards. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't any conflict there, but they. But they, they're far more positive and they've got very strict rules in, in place to be able to protect these animals. So that's, what, that's why um, we, we, we can send the numbers that we're talking about. Um, the translocation, we, we've had some, you know, uh, many cheetahs have been translocated across South Africa between these reserves. So that's part of the, the metapopulation program because these animals are in isolated uh, pockets. Mm. Um, we have to move them around regularly to... Um, make sure that we don't get inbreeding and that we spread the genes across the yeah. country. Now, um, initially we had quite a lot of problems with that translocation. These animals are highly prone to stress during translocations and we had a mortality rate that was around sitting at around 20% um, during translocation. So we've yeah. had to work quite hard on trying to um, understand why uh, these animals become so stressed and how we counteract that. And, and I think we've done... Um, so really successfully, we were also involved with the um, translocation of the eight Namibian cheetahs. Um, you know, the, the, those are the first eight that went over yeah. to, to India from Namibia. Yeah. Um, and we tested out some uh, a new, you know, translocation or, or, or a, a tranquilizing protocol that we used, and that worked really, really well, despite you know uh, a fairly lengthy translocation process. Yeah. And when they arrived on the other side, there was obviously a lot of um, there were over a thousand people waiting to receive them at Kuno National Park with with the president. I mean, the, the um, prime minister of, of India there and all the wow. delegation and everything and all the noise. And despite that, uh, a fairly high temperature when we arrived there, and, and uh, you know, it was actually everything went fine. The animals were doing doing very well. So we have to go to a break, but I'm going to ask you a question, and we'll get the answer straight after the break. Um, you talk okay. about the fairly high temperature, and I was thinking as you were talking, if there were uh, in India, there were cheetahs before 1952. So we know that there is, for example, the Indian elephant, which is different to the African elephant. Were the cheetahs that um, were there before 1952 the same as the South African cheetahs? I know it sounds like a bit of a ditzy pro- question, but were they the same or was it a different breed, so to speak? I'm going to go to a break, and if you could just uh, explain that for us when we get back. Michelle Constant on SAFM. We're chatting to Professor Adrian Tordiff, who is an Associate Professor and Veterinary Wildlife Specialist at the University of Pretoria. We're going to see 12 wild cheetahs being translocated to the Kuno National Park in India sometime in mid-February, owing to the fact that cheetahs were declared extinct in India in 1952. And the question I was asking the professor was, is this the same cheetah that they have had in India in the past? And the reason I ask that is we know that there is the Indian elephant, but there's also the African elephant, and they are slightly different in size. They're different uh, breeds almost. Uh, Prof... (coughs) Sorry to be a sort of like, like maybe a bit 
I don't want to say blonde, but I know it's is. Are they the same yeah. cheaters? A rose is a rose is a rose. Gertrude Stein. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very good question, and I think um, it it really depends on who you talk to. You know, oh. uh, again, because they are in in the sort of conservation world, they are what we call the lumpers, and they are the splitters, and um, <laughs> the names for. For people who want to break up a species into multiple subspecies and even into what they call evolutionary units, you know, yeah. um, the the and, and so for the cheetah we have more or less five subspecies. Um, we have the Southern African cheetah, very closely related to the East African cheetah, um, the West African cheetahs, and then North African, and then we also have the Asiatic cheetahs, which, as said, only currently occur in Iran. Only a few specimens mm. left. Now, the genetic differences between those different subspecies are virtually, I mean, the same uh, across the board, and they're very uh, small differences. So the Asiatic cheetah, which is probably the the most closely related to what used to occur in India, um, although India is a complex, um, you know, they they used to import cheetahs almost certainly from Africa at some stage way back when, um, because cheetahs were actually used uh, by the royalty in, in India for hunting. And there's one uh, story of, of, you know, one of these uh, kings who had over a thousand, you know, tame cheetahs that they used, you know, to hunt gazelle and, and uh, Indian yeah. blackbuck and, and um, deer and so on. And um, almost certainly these animals were moved, you know, from East Africa. And some of the remaining specimens that we had, uh, you know, the hunting trophy specimens that were genetically analyzed, show that there definitely was some movement from Africa as well. If we look at them in terms of the, you know, actual, you, you probably could recognize, if you, if you really know cheetahs, you probably could recognize the differences, um, some of the, the slightly longer coat for the, for the Asiatic cheetah, longer legs, wow. um, smaller body frame. But in terms of the actual ecological function of the animal, you know, the way in which they hunt, the type of animals that they would hunt, that is not going to change between, an, you know, an Asiatic cheetah and an African cheetah. They will go for exactly the, the same prey the behavior of the animals is very, very similar. So the impact that they have on the environment and the evolutionary impact that they have on the prey species that they're hunting is almost identical. And that's what we really are interested in, these animals performing their ecological role in the environment, um, which is really very important. Um, they have yeah. a slightly different role to other large predators like tigers and, and leopards who hunt very differently from the from the cheetah. So... Um, and, and we've seen a lot of sort of, you know, now with reintroduction programs of wolves into Yellowstone National Park, the yeah. dramatic Im- impact that they've had on the environment from a top-down kind of approach. Um, we don't anticipate that there's going to be any difference between, uh, you know, whether it's an Asiatic cheetah or um, an African cheetah. And yeah. certainly the cheetahs that went from Namibia, uh, they adapted very, very quickly to the environment there. They are hunting uh, cheetal or, or spotted deer um, in India already. And actually, it seems that um, you know they have no problem with with um, hunting those deer. The deer are actually probably a little slower than our impala and springbuck in South Africa, so probably a little easier for them to hunt. But the the kind of impact, ecological impact, we we absolutely certain is going to be identical. And we don't have the luxury of you know conserving isolated um, subspecies of animals anymore. Mm. In many cases, we kind of have to you know substitute. Uh, the IUCN um, actually allows for. Uh, you know, species substitution. So if you can get a completely different species to reintroduce into an area um, that is likely to perform the same ecological function, then they, they allow for that. You just have to make the case for it. So you're a lumper. You're not a splitter. I'm definitely in favor of lumping. We, we're running into problems. If we carry on splitting, mm. we end up with smaller and smaller isolated units. Um, 
people that are into conservation love splitting things up because the the rarer it is, the more you know money you can raise, the more attention you can draw to it. But mm. it doesn't necessarily practically help you in terms of of actual uh, environmental conservation. Yeah. To to keep splitting things up. I must say, I was having a little giggle when you were talking about the cheetahs uh, in going to India, and then suddenly they have to chase like the spotted deer. I can, you yeah. know, if you anthropomorphize them, I can just see those cheetah like going, "What the hell is this? I've never seen this one before. What are those spots for?" And then like big cheetah, daddy cheetahs like going, "Don't worry, kids. I'm sure it's fine." And you can yeah. turn it into a fabulous animated series about the family of <laughs> cheetah that go travelling to India. It would be a really lovely story for young children. They don't seem to notice too much <laughs> the differences <laughs> of whether they've got spots or stripes or whatever. You know, as long as they're roughly the right size and they, they behave the same way, then you know, yeah. um, it seems it seems they don't pay too much attention. And, it's and still the meat, they don't seem to, you know, <laughs> and they don't seem to complain about whether it's an Indian food. Maybe they like yeah. Indian food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose in closing, one has to ask: Does this mean that the MOU will be reciprocal, and we might see tigers in South Africa? Excuse the pun. <laughs> no, I don't think it's not about an exchange of, of animals necessarily. Um, but there certainly is a, a, a you know a, a exchange of expertise. Um, I think we you know from a conservation point of view, India has a very different environment. They have mm. none of their reserves have fences, although there are very few that very few that have fences. Um, they manage the entire population in an open system, um, which is uh, uh, not necessarily a thing that's going to work in in our country. But uh, I think there still is a sort of hybrid somewhere between that that we can learn from. So we, we, we plan to sort of exchange expertise. They'll learn more about our sort of fenced reserves and how we manage them here and, and vice versa. And uh, it's more about the expertise rather than actually exchanging, um, you know, just the animals. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. Prof Adrian Tordiff, Associate Professor in Veterinary Wildlife Specialist at the University of Pretoria. Fascinating stuff, Nick.